hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Birding Life Youth Podcast, the podcast aimed at the youth by the youth. I am your hostess, Gabby Sykora, and in today's episode, I have herpa extraordinaire Shane Nguyenia joining me. Shane, thank you for taking the time to chat to me today. Shane, I believe you wrote your last exam just this morning, so I really appreciate you making the time. Hey, Gabs. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, as you said, I just finished my exam. It was a five-hour exam from like nine until two o'clock. So I managed to make the effort to be in this podcast with you. So I can't wait to see what you have for me. Yeah, thank you. Sure, that sounds pretty hectic. But anyway, welcome. It's great to have you on this podcast. So I think let's get stuck right in. I'm really excited. Can you just start off by giving us a brief intro as to who you are in the world? Uh, For those who don't know who I am and uh, to all the listeners of this podcast, my name is Shane, uh, Sinem Nguenya. I'm a 20-year-old boy coming from a small, tiny village right in the corner of Bumalanga, which is literally about, uh, I would say, five kilometers away from the border of Swaziland and 25 kilometers away from the border of Mozambique. So I'm basically uh, a few kilometers away from the Kruger National Park near Komati Port. I'm sure you've been to Kruger National Park a couple of times. I grew up in an urban area in Nelisprey, but during my dead grade, when my dad passed away, I had to move back to Matadene, which is the village where I'm currently residing right now. And for me to move back to that village, I ended up developing a passion for nature because where I was staying, I was surrounded by the bushes. And being surrounded by the bushes, there's definitely going to be high chances for a particular person or for anyone to roam around those bushes and see what animals, what plants they can find. And fun fact, I was a head boy. I was heading castles for my granddad and my grandmom. So which means that gave me plenty of time in the bushes and to develop and keep on feeding my patient from a younger age. So that's Shane Gwenya for the world. Wow, that's really interesting. I'm sure we can learn a lot from you. <laughs> Definitely. So Shane, now my next question to you is, what got you into herping? Uh, I would say... I got into into helping indirectly so uh because the last time I checked uh not last time I checked so what happened is back in high school I used to be like an active student when it comes to nature and conservation initiatives so I had an idea when I was doing grade 10 I tried to invite the the Kruger National Park to come to our school to teach children about nature and conservation and just give them a vivid idea of what they can get in nature conservation profession wise and patient wise so instead of Kruger National Park coming to school a lady from Kruger National Park who's running the Skokuza Science Leadership Initiative she invited me over to Kruger whereby they were running a reptile diversity in African savannas field course whereby they were doing field survey for reptiles of which it was a course mainly made for undergraduate students from UWC and UMP. And I joined those students for like, uh, I think, five days or something. And from that day, I just fell in love with reptiles. And then I went back home, started chasing reptiles, started chasing lizards and agamas. And I think from that week, I developed love for reptiles because reptiles are one of the easiest animals to find around. You can literally find a reptile anywhere right now, even if you can go out 
outside now on your wall or your stop nonsense you can find the reptiles you can go out at night on your on your headlamps or your your lamps outside you can literally find the reptile looking for something to eat especially the geckos that are hanging around the walls so that's how I fell in love with reptiles. And from that week, I kept on feeding my passion and learning more and more about reptiles. That's really so interesting. Yeah, you can indeed find them anywhere. We have um, some geckos that come in yeah. through the window into our house in the winter. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I'm trying so hard to like, so we have a cat and she is obsessed with catching uh -huh. lizards. So I've got to try and protect lizards at all costs because they come in and then she chases them and yeah, panic goes through the house. <laughs> and I'm sure most of the cases the lizard wins, hey? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so to be honest, herping is something I've yet to get into personally. Honestly, because it scares uh -huh. me a little. <laughs> as i really wouldn't know yeah, yeah. what you can handle and what you shouldn't yeah 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 so are there any definitive points that you could share with me for me to know when spotting a frog snake or any reptile yeah be it maybe if it's red i must leave it alone i don't know what would you say so i would say i was in the same uh stages you are like not having the fear of reptiles or amphibians or not knowing what reptile to handle and what not reptile to 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 not handle so the thing is literally based on education it's all about what you know you definitely need to spend time reading and studying reptiles in general there's a lot of uh identification course that are offered you can go to google and search for identification course and i think uh the African Snake Bite Institute does offer snake identification courses. So it's all about learning and studying reptiles. It's much more like what you are doing. You are able to identify most of the mammals that you have in SA, like the big cats, and you manage to identify those big cats or those mammals or those birds, I may say, through the use of what? Of books. You learned about those big cats. You learned about those mammals. You learned about those birds. Similar applies to 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 reptiles so it's all about knowing your stuff i would say it's much more like driving a car because you cannot drive a car without knowing how to drive a car if that makes sense so you can't be going around handling reptiles and handling frogs without knowing what you are actually doing so for me i would say uh, I self-taught myself on how to identify reptiles and I did get help by getting uh, a snake identification course from the African Snake Bite Institute and I also got a few snakes of Southern Africa field guides that helped me in identification of reptiles and around amphibians because I would literally get uh, a lizard or a snake but I wouldn't handle them, I would just take pictures from a distance and then I just kept on sending them to friends and other experts to help me with identifications. And in that way, you are also learning. So I would say it's all about learning and being interested in what you want to know. So if you're going to be interested in reptiles, you definitely need to find something that's going to teach you more about the reptiles, that's going to teach you on how to identify reptiles and amphibians. Okay, well, thanks for the tips. Yeah, I'll definitely have a look at some 
identification books just so when i'm out in the field i don't go touching anything i shouldn't yeah and 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 speaking of of uh when you said if it's red you should leave it alone i would say that does apply in in nature like it's called uh it's called a defensive mechanism whereby uh the 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 predators will definitely avoid prey items that are brightly colored just like the poison dart frogs from the amazon in indonesia so the poison dart frogs they're like super bright in colors and predators they avoid them because they know that a bright color in nature is usually correlated with toxicity or being poisonous so the only frog that i know that it's toxic in south africa by looking at its color I'm not quite sure if you've seen the red the red banded rubber frog so that frog it's bright super it's, it's super black and then it's also super orange it has black and orange colors or patterns and that frog it's toxic so if you handle it it's going to secrete some toxins and if the toxins are going to get into your eyes or to your mouth you might have a little bit of an issue there so it is true that if something it's brightly colored then it can mean danger and you know that most of the cases red means danger so you need to be aware <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I've seen um, that frog in some books before, but I'll try and remember yes. <laughs> that while I'm out in the field. Don't touch uh -huh. anything, Rain. But as it is normal with me, my mind usually <laughs> leaves me in situations <laughs> like that. You see, when the adrenaline kicks in, you just want to do anything that comes into your head without thinking. <laughs> exactly yeah so shane having chatted previously i believe in your culture yeah, yeah, yeah. that there are many misconceptions and superstitions associated with wildlife and both your grandmother and mom were not that happy <laughs> that you enjoyed the nature side especially being so young so is this something that they got used to or how did you as a family move past the fears of your interacting to the degree um... you did? That's a tough one, hey? But I would say for me or for my society as a whole, there is a lot of myths and misconceptions because uh, we, are, we, we, we have not been exposed to a lot of knowledge, a lot of education regarding wildlife or regarding animals. So the only thing we know about wildlife is all the myths and misconceptions that have been passed on from generations to generations. For like an instant, there is a lot of meats associated with our scaly friends. There is a popular belief that if a snake bites you, you need to let that snake bite you twice because if it bites you once, you're going to die quickly. But if it's going to bite you twice, it's going to neutralize that, uh, that venom or something. And another thing, there's a meat that people can use snakes to bewitch you. People can use animals to bewitch you or people can use animals to hurt you or something like that. So that was one of the challenges I had with my parents because... They are so into cultural beliefs and they're in fear that now that I am exposing myself to the world out there, to my community and to my surroundings, that I am a person who's passionate or loves playing with animals. There's a potential possibility that someone can literally use animals to hurt me or to harm me in a form of being jealous of what I'm doing. And there's actually a huge or a lot of meat in our society for like an instead is this other other meat which is associated with snakes uh which says if a snake spits in your eyes you need to go around the community and find a lady that's breastfeeding so that they can 
pour the milk into your eyes and that milk is going to neutralize the venom in your eyes and of which is not true because milk is full of bacteria and bacteria mixed with venom it's not going to be a good thing it's going to worsen the case but i've managed to to overcome or to be on the same page with my parents especially my grandma and mother about this myth and misconception because i started educating them about what i was doing i started giving them a better understanding of what is it that I'm doing and why am I doing it and I started sharing them I started sharing with them the facts and uh, the truth about animals and wildlife I started crashing the myths and stereotypes but now slowly but surely they are on the right track they are giving me their support it's not like they're not supporting me my mom was very supportive from the very start even though she didn't like she didn't like what i was doing but she understand that i was what i was doing was making me happy and then she just decided to continue supporting me even though she didn't like it so that's it with the myths and misconception and another thing uh Fun story. So when I got back from Kruger National Park while I was doing grade 10, first time handling a live snake was uh, a brown house snake because I don't want to lie, I used to kill snakes too because of all of the myths and misconception. I believe that if you see a snake, someone has sent a snake to, to kill you or someone has sent a snake to do something bad to you or to your family. And if you see a snake, you're going to have bad luck, of which is not true. So when I came back home from that field course in Kruger National Park, I saw a brown house snake outside. And then I took that snake back into the house and I kept it for like a night so that I can show my mom early in the morning the following day. I showed her and then <laughs> she said to me, where did you get this snake and when did you get it? I said, I got it here outside the yard yesterday. And then where did you keep it all along? I said, it was in your house, in my room. And then I got the heaviest beating in my life on that day. So I got a huge, huge, huge ass whipping for keeping a snake overnight. But yeah, I won't do it again. <laughs> Oh, that's understandable. I completely get where you're coming from. Though. I mean, you've those misconceptions have been kind of passed down from generation to generation. And now someone is coming into the community trying to like persuade you to think differently. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's 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 super difficult to convince someone that, okay, this is a misconception. It's not true. This is what's true. Because... The majority of people, they do believe um, that the misconceptions and superstitions are true. And you are there, you're all alone, and then you are trying to convince someone who's been convinced by a hundred more people, who's always been convinced by his family, by his relatives, or by his siblings. It is a tough challenge, and I really enjoy doing it because it gives me like a lot of ideas on how to structure what I am trying to do and how to convince people to know, to differentiate shared between myths, misconception and facts about wildlife and biodiversity in general. So now Shane, coming back to the creepy crawlies and uh-huh. scaly creatures themselves, have you ever been bitten, stung or injured by any of the reptiles you've handled over the years? Um, Let me just check. I've been dealing with reptiles for how many years right now? Um, I would say 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. So it's been five years. And I think I've been beaten multiple times by snakes. I've been stung multiple times by scorpion. But most of the snake bites that I got, they are intentionally so. But they are intentionally so being aware that that snake is either harmless or mildly venomous. So 
I've gotten a few snake bites from brown house snakes uh, now in Cape Town by crossmark whip snakes back home by uh, olive grass snakes, herald snakes, uh, rhombic egg eaters. Yeah, I've been bitten quite a lot of times hey, by <laughs> harmless snake species and mildly venomous snake species. So, but most of the cases, it's it's when I'm trying to prove to someone, or not necessarily proving, but educating people that, hey, not all snakes are venomous, not all snakes are dangerous, because people think that all snakes are capable of killing you or taking you down, and of which is not true. So I've been bitten quite a few times. Wow, well, I can say you're very, very brave. <laughs> I could never do something like that. Have you been stung by a bee before or anything um i have been yeah i've been stung by a bee i've i stood on mm -hmm. a wasp before so that wasn't too fun um but yeah nothing recently <laughs> okay so now moving on a little bit let's get away from the bites and the stings and everything um you mentioned to me previously that you started an environmental club at school which i find so cool <laughs> so how did this go and is this still something that mm -hmm. the school is following through with or did it die down after the master conservationist left yeah 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 uh the environmental club is still up and running are uh, we trust i think was established back in 20, 2019 while I was doing great and we established the environmental club back in that year. So the environmental club was basically assessing um, environmental issues within the school premises and outside the school premises that can have uh, a negative impact on Elena's academic performance and on Elena's social life. So it was literally trying to deal with those issues such as uh, environmental cleanliness, uh, the class cleanliness and what else. We're also looking, oh, just to make it simple, so the environmental club was like divided into sectors. We have a sector that was dealing with energy, where the sector was dealing with environment, where the sector that was dealing with academics, a sector that was dealing with uh, water and sanitation, and a sector that was dealing with society. So the club had like five sectors, each dealing with different, each having like different responsibilities. For like an, for like an example, the energy sector was responsible to ensure that uh, everything on the school premises is running smoothly energy-wise, technology-wise, and the social sector was ensuring that all of the students on school, they're like uh, comfortable within their environment. They have someone to talk to just in case they, have so they need someone to talk to or they're going through something. And the environmental sector was making sure that our environment, it's healthy, it's always clean because you cannot perform very well in an environment that is not clean. You cannot expect students or learners to perform very well in, in their academic performances while they are studying in an environment that is not clean. And the Environment Club is still running. It's a pity that uh, I graduated in high school and I left the Environment Club, but I didn't leave the Environment Club because when I head back home, I still interact with the students. I still visit them. I still share talks with them and just have educational talks and uh, awareness events with the Environment Club and the current members that they have. And the teacher who developed or established the Environment Club with me, Mr. Koza, he currently 
left my high school and went to another high school. But the good thing is, is that the Inverno Club is still up and running. So it doesn't have to die because me and the teacher who established the Inverno Club are no longer at that school. No, it's not like that. The Inverno Club is still up and running. There is a few students who are running it and there is a committee within the club that's making sure that everything is running the way it's supposed to be. Wow, that just shows what an impact you made. That's that's truly incredible. But this brings me to my next question for you. So Shane, I know you're now uh-huh. at university, but tell us about what you're studying and what your hopes and aspirations are for the future. So uh, I'm currently at the University of the Western Cape. I'm doing my second year now in Bachelor of Science of Biodiversity and Conservation Biology. So this is a course that is mainly about the conservation of our biodiversity, but it is it is highly science integrated. So what I'm hoping to have to achieve in the future with the course that I'm doing or to aspire for what I'm doing or to achieve in the future, I just want to find solutions or come up with ideas and techniques, scientific ideas and scientific techniques that are going to aid and help when it comes to nature and conservation. I basically want to contribute to nature and conservation using science. I know there's a lot of factors or a lot of people that are contributing to nature and conservation, practically so, but at the current state of the world, we definitely need more scientists in the nature and conservation sector because most of the things that are posing a threat to our biodiversity now, they are biologically related, just like COVID-19, uh swine flu and rabies all of those diseases or all of those threats they are biological and they definitely need science to intervene scientists to intervene and deal with those diseases and all of those are potential threats to our wildlife because any disease outbreak has a potential of taking out any species for like an instance COVID-19 can have a possibility of taking out any species or making a specific species to be extinct so that's why I decided to pursue science because I just really want to contribute into nature and conservation with the use of science. Sure, so you're really reaching for the stars. That's so inspiring. <laughs> we got to, we got to. Yes, we do. So let's move to a different subject quickly. Social media uh-huh. has many negatives. And you said to me that you lost some of your interest in nature when you started out on social media way yeah. back in grade seven. So now I guess my question to you is, do you see social media differently now? with being able to show off your talent and love for herping and nature. Have you found a means to balance the two? Um, I would say, like you said, social media has many negatives. Uh, that's what I said to you the other day, because I've never, I've never been exposed to, to a lot of gadgets and high techs before in my life. So the time I got a smartphone when I was doing grade seven, I was introduced to Facebook by my friends, introduced to Instagram. So you know what's happening in Facebook? A lot of people are going into social media just to to brag about their life, just to tease on other people, to pick on other people, to look down on other people, just to mock on other people. And that's why most people, they end up getting depressed or having anxiety or having suicide thoughts because of what someone said about them on social media and I was one of those people I don't want to lie but at some point as I grew up and started to mature 
I just realized that there's a lot that you can do with social media. You don't need to let the social media tools control you, but you can control the social media tools in such a way. For me, I'm a nature lover. I'm a wildlife. I'm interested in nature conservation. I managed to find a purpose of using social media, such as Instagram and Facebook, because on Instagram and Facebook, I am sharing my adventures. I am sharing pictures of wildlife. I am sharing articles about wildlife. I am spreading awareness. I am celebrating environmental days on Facebook. And what I am sharing is going to have an impact on someone that's scrolling through my feed and be like, "Hey, did you see that snake? That snake is so beautiful. Hey, did you see that lion? Hey, did you see that picture Shane posted? It looks so interesting." So. What I'm trying to do with social media at the moment is that I want to have an impact to the society or to the youth with the use of photography because a picture can speak a thousand words. So a picture can have a huge impact to someone than words, and that's what I'm trying to do with social media. And just to sum up everything, I would say I have definitely found a balance between the two because I've moved from the negative side of using social media to the positive side of social media. And with social media, I am I feel like and I am contributing to nature and conservation. A lot of people are contributing to nature and conservation with social media. I would say the same thing with you because you found social media as a perfect tool by starting uh YWP of which it's a platform where the youth can engage, share knowledge, share ideas about nature and conservation. And that started with what? With a picture or with photography. You see that with photography, we can do a lot of things. We can spread positivity and we can also do what? Contribute to nature and conservation while we are also spreading positivity and having an impact in someone's life or anyone's life. You are so, so right. Wow. So great. I'm really glad that you've managed to find that balance because as much as what social media is amazing and all, it can be pretty toxic at times. So like you said, we have to look at the positive side of it, not only at the negatives. That was really inspiring. Thank you for that. And and it's all it's all about the person the user of that social media platform this the social media platform can be toxic as much as it wants to but it's going to depend on you and how you're going to deal with it because i wouldn't say or i wouldn't go to to my account or go to your account and scroll down to your account and be like oh gabby is toxic no on your account you are literally representing what you are all about you are all about wildlife photography right you are all about nature conservation you are all about adventurous you're all about adventures i mean and you are an adventurous person and that's what you are sharing on social media and of which it's a positive thing you are not toxic meaning that you are not controlled about what other people are doing with their social media tools but you are controlling your own social media tool Oh, you, this makes me so happy because I'm glad you feel the same way. We have to be positive about it. But this is all so interesting. I, I yeah, love yeah. having this chat with you. I'm sure we can chat for days. <laughs> but my final question... <laughs> we can even take it two weeks. <laughs> two weeks even, yeah. Um, but my final question to you is, if you could give me any advice to me personally as an avid nature lover, be it about herping, planning a trip, or even simply leaving me with food for thought, what would it be? Um, I would say don't forget who you are and don't forget why you are doing what you are doing and don't forget about the benefits of 
doing what you are doing and the impact of and the impact you are having to the youth and other people with the work that you are doing so just continue being yourself and continue feeding your passion continue doing what you love and at the end of the day it's all about doing what you love and doing what's going to make you happy wow that's a fantastic one i'll certainly hold on to that we have to do what we're passionate about at the end of the day so well shane it's been really great having this chat to you and i can't wait to see what the future holds for you good luck with your studies and maybe one day we can meet up and you can show me the world of herping as the fearless individual you are so i look forward to welcoming you back on the podcast again in the future thank you gabs and i just want to say thank you to all the listeners for taking their time to give us their ear and to continue supporting this podcast and i hope you're gonna keep on engaging with the youth and let's spread awareness about nature and conservation and let's have an impact to the world and get the youth involved in nature and conservation hey we definitely need the youth right now because everything is literally dependent on the youth yes we are the future thanks for listening everyone and i look forward to recording my next podcast really soon Until next time, this is Gabby Sikora for the Birding Life Youth Podcast, signing out.